Welcome to Soccer Morning. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. We are on the air. SoccerMorningBackHill.com. Hi. Hi. How are you? How's it going? What's happening? Weekend's coming. I think you're probably good to go. I know I am. I am good for the weekend. I am ready. I have been fried this week. Uh, lots happening. We've had some good shows here at Soccer Morning, but then you've had some heavy weights placed upon us, both as a soccer community and, and uh, culturally in general. So here we go. Uh, let's uh, let's start a big show for you first, because we were not on the air yesterday. Let's go ahead and in this space, note the passing of Dutch great Johan Cruyff at the age of 68. If you uh, do have Sirius XM, if you have a subscription, I highly recommend going back and listening to some of the, the broadcasting from Sirius XM FC yesterday, including Soccer Morning. I thought it was a very good tribute to an incredibly influential man in the world of football for those people who are in my age range or even younger who did not get to see Johan Cruyff play a wealth of resources on that channel. Rodney Marsh, Ray Hudson, we had Shep Messing on Soccer Morning. Uh, more after the fact, Thomas Rongen made a, an appearance on Counterattack uh, from his day, talking about his days playing with Johan Cruyff. So go listen to all of that if you want to learn about Johan Cruyff. Today's program will be thematically all about CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. Our two guests are Seth Vertelny from Goal.com. We'll touch on... World Cup qualifying for the United States of America, also on the U23, so Olympic qualifying tossed in there when it comes to Seth. And then Dwayne Rollins, 24th Minute Canadian Soccer News, will join us. Uh, we'll go through the Canadian Challenge tonight against Mexico in Vancouver uh, with, Mr., with Mr. Rollins. So uh, with that in mind, those two guests coming in limited time, let's hit the news. Actual verifiable news out of miami florida david beckham's miami beckham united group has acquired uh, privately owned parcels of that site in miami's overtown neighborhood uh, that is the proposed location for their mls stadiums the first time beckham's group has obtained land towards the building of a stadium there have been many different uh, plans that have come to nothing this is the first time the group has actually managed to get some uh, to get some land towards this stadium the group must now begin the process of obtaining permission to buy the government-owned land on the lot, as well as getting the zoning necessarily to build it. So, one hurdle cleared, bigger hurdles to come, governmental hurdles, red tape hurdles. I, are we supposed to be uh, enthused, overly enthused at this point? Uh, it's, it's an interesting question as to whether or not this represents real progress or if it is a false dawn down in Miami. Combo World Cup qualifying. There was a host of games last night. Hopefully you'd partake, partook. Is that a word? You can partake, partook. Hopefully you watch some of those games. Argentina, 2-1 winners over Chile in, uh, in Chile. Ecuador gets a 90th minute equalizer from Angel Mena to remain unbeaten in qualifying with a 2-2 draw against Paraguay. Paraguay should have seen that game out, but Ecuador certainly deserved uh, to come back and get a draw. Colombia wins 3-2 over Bolivia. Peru, a 2-2 draw against bottom feeders Venezuela. Ecuador remains atop of the table after five matches played. Uh, meanwhile, Brazil hosts Uruguay tonight to complete the round. After that match, Everyone will be on uh, five point. Or five, sorry, five games played um, in Commonwealth World Cup qualifying, which we know uh, from experience is quite the gauntlet uh, for these sides. I'm just going to check here on the standings, which I had pulled up and then somehow lost. So let's go ahead and look, look at the table very quickly. Uh, if I can find it, it disappeared on me. It it, it doesn't want to work. All right. Well, we'll come back to that, I suppose. Let's go to um, let's go to news out of uh, for the Unis men's national team. Excuse me, Aaron Johansson, Werder Bremen striker, will miss the rest of the Bundesliga season after Werder Bremen announced he has not recovered from hip and groin injuries that have limited to just six appearances this season. He scored twice for Bremen. Of course, he moved over from Azed Alkmar, a big uh, a, a big. Um, 
move for Aaron Johansson, yet he has not been able to make any sort of difference at Werder Bremen yet. Uh, this obviously means that he won't be able to play for the United States of America as long as he is recovering either. We'll see what this means for the Copa America tournament coming up this summer and whether or not he will be available uh, to Jurgen Klinsmann, who, who needs as many options as possible, especially at that striker, striker position. United States U23s are in Berakia for the first leg of a playoff tie with Colombia for the right to go to the 2016 Olympics in Brazil. The first of the two legs kicks off at 5 p.m. Eastern today on Fox Sports 1. Make sure you, rec- you recognize the time. It's an early kickoff uh, for, uh, for American viewers, 2 p.m. on the West Coast. Coach Andy Herzog will look to return home with a manageable scoreline. Second leg set for Frisco, Texas next Tuesday night. Have not seen uh, ticket sales on next Tuesday. Um, these games typically don't do real well, and it's midweek. We'll see. Hopefully the fans down there in, in Texas show up to support the boys, and hopefully they come back from Columbia with something that they can handle, a, a manageable scoreline. There's some talent in that team, and yet uh, you know, it is obviously a massive challenge for the United States. I was looking at a, a proposed lineup uh, from someone at Soccer by Ivis. I'm not sure who that who that actually was, uh, who put... Uh, Put together the lineup, but uh, it did not have um, it did not have Emerson Hyman in it. Instead, it had uh, Fataya Lashi and the in the middle of the field. I believe Will Trap alongside him. That's the you, beside the the back line. Matt Miazga, I think, is a is a guaranteed starter. Tim Parker's there. You've got to have players in front of those guys to shield the back line. Kel Nacosta is probably going to play in the back line because there's limited options at fullback. You have Eric Miller in this group as well. And then the attackers. I mean, are you going to get a lot out of this foursome? Uh, probably probably Jordan Morris and Jerome Kiesewetter on some combination up top. Uh, beyond that, it's a matter of, uh, of choice for, for Herzog as he uh, looks to probably come back with something approaching a 0-0 if he can get it. The U.S. men's national team, the senior squad, faces Guatemala in Guatemala City tonight as World Cup qualifying resumes in the CONCACAF region. That game is at 10 p.m. on uh, BN Sport uh, or NBC Universo if you have that and want to watch uh, en Espanol. So, uh, CONCACAF qualifying elsewhere. St. Vincent and the Grenadines and Trinidad and Tobago going off at 3.30 p.m. Eastern today. That's a game that obviously uh, is in the same group as the United States. Uh, you have Haiti and Panama in Group B. Jamaica hosting Costa Rica, also in Group B. El Salvador and Honduras uh, in Group A. And Canada and Mexico in Group A as well. Again, uh, Dwayne Rollins, 24th Minute Canadian Soccer News will join us to talk about uh, that challenge for the Canadians and where the Canadian program is right now. I'm looking elsewhere around the world. You have African Nations Cup qualifying, including Nigeria and Egypt, which sounds like a very tasty one. Uh, that game's at 11 a.m. Eastern, so uh, right as we start on soccer morning over on SiriusXM, you don't really have much else happening. There's a bunch of friendlies uh, in Europe, if you're interested in that kind of thing. Netherlands and France is a notable one, 3.45 p.m. Eastern, uh, in part because there's a planned uh, pause of that game for the uh, passing of Johan Cruyff, uh, who was obviously so immense uh, in the world of uh, Dutch football. 14 minutes, uh, they will have a minute-long silence in tribute to Johan Cruyff. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, yep, it is time to talk World Cup qualifying. Seth Fertelny of Gold.com will give us some sense of what the United States might be doing tonight against Guatemala and also a check on the U23s. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome to Soccer Morning. Here's your host, Jason Davis. All right, we're back on a Friday edition of Soccer Morning. Uh, we are uh, just hours, well, I guess 11 hours, uh, less than 11 hours away from uh, the United States pay- taking on Guatemala in World Cup qualifying in Guatemala City. And to talk about that and also uh, touch on the U23s as they 
face off against Columbia, Seth Vertelny from Goal.com. Hey, Seth. Hey, Jason. How's it going? Hey, I'm, uh, it's going okay. How, how do you think it's going for, for Jurgen Klinsman right now ahead of what is supposed to be a pretty manageable two game set against Guatemala? Uh, well, it could be a little better. Uh, he could have, uh, one of his two starting goalkeepers in better form or, uh, playing, uh, when it comes to Tim Howard. He could have one of his best players not injured in, in Fabian Johnson. Um, seems pretty unlikely that they'll play, but all things considered, he's got a pretty strong roster, and um, I think that they should manage a, a good result tonight in Guatemala. Well, they haven't they haven't lost to Guatemala in 21 games, um, but I, th- I think there is a reason. There is um, there's at least some argument to be a little negative about their chances tonight. If they lost one nothing, no one would be that surprised, would they? Um, I would be pretty surprised. I mean, this is not an especially strong Guatemala team. Okay, as fair you enough. Said. <laughs> they uh, they haven't uh, lost to them in a very long time. They'll. They usually manage to at least get draws. I don't think they, they win too much in Guatemala. Um, but, you know, anything can happen in, in CONCACAF qualifying on the road. Um, but, I mean, this, this Guatemala team, they, they lost their first game, uh, in this round of qualifying at home to Trinidad and Tobago. So, if they couldn't get a point at home against Trinidad and Tobago, I, I would be, Pretty surprised to see the U.S. fail to at least get a draw, but I wouldn't be surprised if they they couldn't win this game. So uh, the United States, okay. So so right now, where we are, sort of with this program, is you know coming into 2016, it was an opportunity to to clear the slate. 2015 was particularly bad, or at least it was well beyond below. Uh, typical American standards. Uh, have you? What have you seen? I mean, is, is there something specific we can point to and say, okay, that's what Clemson's trying to do? I'm not saying it's successful. I'm not making a judgment yet. It's still March. These are again uh, uh, Concacaf qualifiers ahead of the hex. The hex is when it gets really tough. But are we seeing actual uh, a new approach or a different approach or even a, an attempt to kind of grab things by Clemson? Well, I think it's interesting because. Tonight, there's a, he has a chance to try to implement more of the, the, the proactive style that he talks about a lot, but we, we haven't seen. Um, and I, I think the way that he lines up tonight will, will say a lot about uh, the way that he is approaching the beginning of this year because you have two guys on the roster in Darlington Nagby and we win who are more in line with what Klinsman has promised and has said that the U S is going to try to play in a proactive possession, more attacking style. And I think it'll be interesting to see if he starts one of those two guys tonight in more of a, uh, advanced center midfield role and have Michael Bradley a little bit more withdrawn. Like he's been playing with Toronto FC uh, I think, you know, like I said, Guatemala, it's, it's a team that you need to respect and it's a team that you can't expect to just go on the road and dominate. But it's also, it's not Honduras, it's not Mexico, it's not Panama. It's, it's a team that you can reasonably expect to go away and still control most of the game. And I think if you see the U.S. start a little bit more of a attacking lineup with a win or with a nagby, that could be a, a signal that they're trying to move forward a little bit with this uh, proactive playing style and, and taking the game to their opponent. Uh, if you had to guess, uh, if you had to put a percentage uh, possibility on Klinsman actually doing that, going with a proactive lineup in Guatemala, what percentage would you put on it? I mean, it makes what you're saying makes a lot of sense, Seth, and yet I've been. Uh, been proven uh, stupid by Jurgen Klinsmann's move in the pa- moves in the past. Yeah, I've I've gotten out of the business of predicting Klinsmann's <laughs> lineups, um, but I, I I I still think that uh, he's going to start Bradley and Beckerman in the middle. It just seems more aligned with what he's done in the past, and because they're away, um, he's going to probably 
try to play a little bit more conservative mm. and, and go for a tie or a one-goal win. Well, okay, well, in order to get a win, they need a goal. I'm not saying he's definitely going to set up with an attempt to go at goal that much. We'll, we'll see. I mean, there, there's going to be some attacking talent on the field. Imagine Clint Dempsey's in this lineup, but how does that how does that combination work up top? Because uh, my understanding, and, and I, I think a lot of people would be very surprised to see Josie Outdoor start, considering he's still working his way back to full fitness after the hamstring injury. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. He hasn't really gotten a lot of minutes this year, and you have a ready-made replacement there in, in Bobby Wood, who's been in really good form for Union Berlin in the German second division. Um, so, yeah, if I had to guess, I would say you're you're going to see Dempsey and Wood start up top. It's a combination that we haven't really seen too much of. Um, you know, we saw a little bit in the uh, CONCACAF Cup against Mexico, um, but, you know, certainly there's, there's enough attacking talent there to, to score goals away against Guatemala. I just want to see how Dempsey and Wood uh, combine together. And if it is Bradley playing a more advanced midfield role, you know, is he going to be able to create enough or are you going to see a lot of the attack come more from the flanks, whether it's Zardis or Bedoya right. or Yedlin, uh, maybe trying to create offense that way and get well, crossed. Okay, yeah. the, the name you didn't mention is Nagby, but if Nagby's on the field, he's probably he's probably playing wide, right? Uh, yeah, or, you know, if, if it's more of a 4-2-3-1 uh, setup, you could see him kind of in a, in a midfield triangle. But, um, yeah, I mean, Clemson's played... Nagby wide uh, more often than not during his time with the national team. All right, okay. So let's 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 shift uh, to the back line. I mean, this is a team. Klinsman has proven a proclivity to want his fullbacks to be involved. I mean, certainly, um, you know, we've seen in the past uh, a, a, an attempt, at least, to, to make combination play work up the flanks. And here we go with. A roster that has nine defenders, seven of whom are center backs, and the two that are fullbacks aren't necessarily the guys you're going to want bombing forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, 26 people on this roster, and like you said, two outside backs. It's it's kind of it's kind of questionable. Um, he stacked the roster with tons and tons of center backs, and just seems a little out of balance to the point where. You know, with this injury to Fabian Johnson, there's only one left back on the roster, and and that's Edgar Castillo, who hasn't played with the national team in two years. So it's a little strange. And you know, I saw Clemson was asked about this yesterday, and he said that they'd be comfortable playing Ventura Alvarado or Michael Orozco at left back should something happen to Castillo and I don't think anybody else <laughs> that falls in national I mean I'm, I'm, I'm over here I'm over that. here doing the shrugging guy Seth because come on really that's what we're doing now we're we're talking about Ventura Alvarado playing wide I my I mean uh, that's the, yeah. it's it's so it's, it's, it's so cleansman that I'm not I can't be shocked by it and yet I'm just I scratch my head and I don't understand Well it's especially frustrating because you have a guy in Bolivia Fania uh, not only is a left back playing well in Liga MX, a league that, that Clemson clearly rates because he calls guys up like Alvarado and Orozco who aren't even playing for their teams, but he's also a dual national who's eligible for the U.S. and Mexico and basically said he's waiting for whichever nation to call him first he's probably going to go with. So it's a, it's a little strange. But, yeah, you know, for tonight, I'd be interested to see whether uh, Klinsman is going to start Yedlin at right back, and then, you know, that would signal more of an attacking look. Or he could go with Michael Roscoe, who he started at right back in, in previous games, and, and that would signify more of a defensive approach. Yeah, all right. So, I mean, you know, so we're, we're looking at a situation where typically, and, and like you said, it's not always true that the United States goes to Guatemala, bosses the game, comes back with three points. Uh, Central American qualifying. I know sometimes people think of that as a cop-out, as an excuse for poor performance, but there is a history here of it being mildly difficult. If, if the bar, if, if you're supposed to beat Guatemala City on a neutral, in a neutral venue, or Guatemala City, Guatemala in a neutral venue, 
then when you're in Guatemala City, you're going to probably have a little bit more of a difficult time. It's going to be rowdy. It's going to be wild. It's going to there projectiles may be involved. So so we we sort of get it. Uh, and yet, what we're talking about is at least in those situations, typically the United States tries to go for it. They may find themselves in a dogfight. They may get a draw, but they're going for it. We're not sure Clinton's going to go for it. Is what we're saying. Yeah, and, and like I said, you know, I think that the midfield's going to say a lot. Um, whether he starts Beckerman or, or puts Bradley a little farther back and starts a guy like Wynn. Um, I think the back line's going to say a lot, whether he starts Yedlin or whether he starts Orozco. Uh, but if I had to predict, I, I would expect more of a, a defensive setup, kind of grinded out, um, kind of a game like you saw in Guatemala four, four years ago at this stage where the U.S. got an early goal. They were ahead 1-0 for most of the game. And then uh, Marco Papa scored a free kick late on for a 1-1 tie. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be a terrible result for the U.S. as long as they win the return leg in Columbus on, on Tuesday. They'll be in okay shape. But I, I do think that with the way it went four years ago at this stage of qualifying, how the U.S. had to wait until the last game in Antigua and Barbuda they got a goal from Eddie Johnson from an assist from Alan Gordon and kind of saved their bacon, so to speak. I think they would really like to make it a little more comfortable this time around and maybe even have clinched a spot in the hex before the final two games of this group phase. Seth, one of the things that uh, has been interesting coming into this this round of games uh, is is the fact that it does coincide with the U23s and their playoff uh, tie against Colombia. We're going to get to that that actual challenge here in a minute. Uh, they play uh, this afternoon. Uh, but the question was whether or not Jurgen Klinsmann was going to call in certain players, namely John Brooks, DeAndre Yedlin, to the senior squad. And, and we're, well, maybe we can get to Will, uh, to, um, uh, Christian Pulisic in a minute, but the senior squad rather than the U the U twenty three squad. I, I was arguing before this roster came down that it made more sense to give Andy Herzog as much uh, talent as possible, considering he's got the tougher challenge. Klinsman didn't go that way. No, he didn't, and I I kind of agree with you on that. Um, when you look at a guy like John Brooks, um, he's clearly in really good form for Hertha Berlin in the Bundesliga right now, and he's somebody who can contribute to the senior national team. However, you have a combination in Jeff Cameron and Matt Beasler at center back that has proven to be pretty effective and has proven to be the U.S.'s best center back combination over the last year. And with that in mind, and like you said, with the challenge the U.S. faces at Columbia, it would seem to make more sense to send a guy like Brooks down with the U23s and try to get a good result in Columbia. Uh, now there's this, this interesting wrinkle with the rosters where after the U.S. plays at Guatemala and after the U23s play at Columbia, you can actually swap players between the two U.S. rosters. Uh, the only thing that I would be concerned about is after the first leg in Colombia, the U.S. could be facing a pretty yeah. big deficit to the right. point where swapping players between the rosters might not do anything. It might be too but late for that. So I think for that reason, you know, a guy like Brooks, maybe even a guy like Yedlin, might have been better served with the U23. Well, there, there is there is the wrinkle, another wrinkle. That, um, I'm, I'm 99% sure of this fact is that clubs do not have to release players for youth international teams. So if you say, I mean, this is, it seems like semantics and it seems, but the paperwork, imagine there's paperwork. If you say, I'm calling up John Brooks from Hurt to Berlin for the U23s against Columbia, Hurt to Berlin could say, nah, we're good. We want him to stay here. Um, but <laughs> right. if, you, if you call him up for the senior squad, they have to release him per FIFA regulation. So if maybe Klinsman's playing a bit of a game here, but, but as, and, but maybe he can't do any better than this, but it's still, it still seems like a risky thing to do. Yeah, definitely. And you would think that this time around, uh, although it's true that clubs don't have to release players if it's not a senior national team call up, this time around, the U23s are actually playing on a FIFA date. So 
Yeah, you know, maybe but, but, Earther would be a little more amenable. But clubs have been obstinate before, uh, so you never know. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not giving Klinsman a pass on this. And again, maybe, it's, maybe it ultimately it doesn't matter. And, and the other argument that I've heard, and I haven't had this come, I haven't seen this come out of Andy Herzog's mouth. I'd love to know his thoughts. But the other argument I've heard is, well, you know, this U23 has some camaraderie and some chemistry. This U23 team, and maybe you don't change that by throwing in players who are. Certainly, established senior level guys like Yedlin and Brooks, and maybe that's the case. I, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I can I can see that, but um, especially with the injury to Cameron Carter Vickers, you know Carter Vickers and Matt Miazga were that team's first choice center back pairing for the uh, Olympic qualifying tournament. Um, so, I mean, what chemistry do Tim Parker and Matt Miazga have? Probably not much more than John Brooks and Matt Miazga would have. But John Brooks, you have a guy who's playing at a really high level right now. So it would seem for the U23's chances of making the Olympics that having him with the team would be pretty beneficial. Okay, let's uh, let's go. To, let's just talk about this U23 challenge and and consider what represents. I mean, the best case scenario is you you score a couple goals, you come up, you come home ahead. Um, I think a lot of us, I think most of us, I think all of us, imagine that to be nearly impossible. Uh, but. They, they're probably good enough, and if a couple of breaks go their way, to, to get something that's approaching a manageable scoreline coming back home. What what would that be? I mean, is two one is a two one loss okay for Andy Herzog? Yeah, I think they would they would take a two one uh, because the way goals are in play. Uh, certainly, they're going to set up defensively. They're going to try to shield that back line, uh, especially given that the aforementioned injury to Carter Vickers. Um, but yeah, I mean, if they can get an away goal, that would be huge, obviously, with a away goal rule in effect. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, they're, they're going to want to not be down more than one goal heading back to Frisco. Uh, this, this Columbia team, you know, they're, they're strong, but, you know, not as strong as some of the top teams in South America at this, at this age group. Uh, there's a reason they're in this playoff along with the U.S. Uh, but, Certainly, I would I would say Colombia is probably a better team than than the U.S. So going down to Colombia and and getting a draw would be optimal, but even a, a two-one loss would be uh, acceptable heading back to Texas next week. Well, okay, let's consider let's consider what uh, what Herzog does with his lineup. I, I saw a proposed lineup this morning. I mean, I hadn't really gone through it myself, but this makes some sense with Fatai and Alashe in the uh, Fatai Lache and Will Trap in the middle of uh, center midfield. Um, that's a you know not that Will Trap's a, a, a defensive midfielder necessarily. As he's a holding mid, he's a possession guy. Uh, he's a good passer of the ball, but he's not going to get forward. So that that is a bucket. Do you imagine that that's what we're going to see? Yeah, that that wouldn't surprise me at all. I think that that is the U.S.'s best hope to to try to keep the score down, to try to maintain some kind of defensive solidity. Is uh, starting a couple more defensive guys in Alache. You have a guy who covers a lot of ground and, and wins a lot of tackles, and then with Trap, you have a guy who's really good in distribution who when the U.S. wins the ball back, is able to start attacks and, and try to find guys like like a Jordan Morris or like a Keith Wetter who has some speed who can try to get behind the Columbia back line and try to score some goals uh, via counterattack. I, I would I would imagine, I mean, my my guess would be a lone striker, uh, Jordan Morris up top, maybe Keith Wetter on, on, on one of the flanks or on the right flank most likely. Um, but who who do you? I mean, who do you imagine that uh, Herzog's going to lean on here? Because this this lineup doesn't have Luis Gill in it. I'm not sure he's a starter necessarily, but you imagine he could add something on the attacking end. Yeah, I think you said it. I think that Morris is going to be up top alone, and then Keith Sweater is going to be out wide. And and this team has relied on those two primarily for a, a lot of a lot of its offense. Uh, another guy who you could see involved is Julian Green, uh, you know, perpetually waiting to break through with the first team at Bayern Munich. Probably never going to happen, but he's had a, a decent season for the reserves again. Uh, another guy who could factor in the attack is Paul Ariola, who's uh, doing fairly well at Club Tijuana, getting some, some first team minutes. Um, but, yeah, like I said, uh, a lot of what the U.S. has done 
in an attacking sense, has gone through Morris and Keysweather, and so I, I wouldn't expect that to change much tonight. Um, all right, so the United States, again, in Barakia against Colombia tonight with a, a difficult challenge, uh, but a little bit of hope there. Uh, we'll see what happens with uh, with them this afternoon as they um, uh, will be coming back with some sort of scoreline that they'll have to um, deal with in Frisco. The other story that has dominated um, the discussion recently Seth, is the story of Christian Pulisic and what team he was being called into and whether or not he's going to join the... Now it's the senior team. We've been confirmed that there's a senior team call-up, perhaps for the game in Columbus, although he's got to get better. So uh, he's at home in Pennsylvania. He's 17, year, he's 17 years old, Seth, and, and, and I'm coming around to the idea that if you're good enough, it doesn't matter how old you are. But, you know, th- there's got to at least be some hesitation on the part of Klinsman and U.S. soccer, especially in light of the Julian Green situation uh, two years ago, uh, about calling in Christian Pulisic. Yeah, I think so. But I, I think more than that, what, what the U.S. Federation is doing with this call-up, uh, first of all, they're showing Pulisic that they feel that he's a vital part of their future. Uh, you, you're talking about a guy who is still eligible for Croatia. Uh, from all indications, that's not a huge concern for the U.S., but anytime there's the danger of, of losing such a good prospect, um, it, it, it makes you a little bit um, more willing to call somebody up for the full national team at age 17. And I, I think that this call up also more than bringing him in for the purposes of playing him in these games. I think Clemson wants to see him at this level in training, see how he responds to being at a higher level with these, with his teammates, uh, see how he gets acclimated to the U S setup and uh, just, Start, and uh, getting a chance to evaluate him in person, which he hasn't really had much of a chance to do. Uh, so certainly there's there's a little bit of concern about calling somebody up so young, but clearly, uh, you know, if, if he's at the level where he's able to get minutes for a team like Bruce Dortmund, who's one of the best 10 clubs teams in the world at age 17, um, you know, he's he's probably good enough to play at the, senior national team level. I, well, I certainly think that every kid is different. Every player is different. And and I got into this discussion uh, in light of Alejandro Bedoya making some comments about, uh, about the hype uh, that we put on these kids, Seth, uh, that, you know, the, the, the argument is that we shouldn't put too much on these kids. We shouldn't hype them up. It's going to, you know, cause us problems, maybe uh, impacts their development. But I, I could certainly sit here and say, well, wait a second. Why not? Why not? Why is it not true that if he was, if this kid was of the right mentality and was made to be a star, that they wouldn't be able to navigate this? Uh, maybe Christian Pulisic is that kid. I, I, I don't know. I think uh, we, we are putting um, a responsibility on a fan base who can't expect to be rational when the responsibility should be on the, the kid and the people around him. I, I totally agree with you, Jason. I, I mean, when you look at the best 10 or 15 soccer players in the world right now, all of those guys started out as highly touted youth prospects. And some people are able to handle it and some people aren't. But when you're at a certain talent level, that's just going to come with the territory. I mean, Wayne Rooney scored a goal for Everton at age 16 and the hype machine went into overdrive and, it didn't really seem to affect him negatively at all. Uh, so, especially with a guy like like Christian Pulisic, you know, there's a lot of hype coming from the U.S., but he's in Germany. He's with Borussia Dortmund, so I don't know how much of it he even hears, and if he does hear it, how it really affects him. He seems to be a pretty confident kid uh, to get to the level where he's at at such a young age. You have to have confidence. And so I, I don't think that we should really be concerned about talking up a, a player like Pulisic. I mean, U.S. fans should be excited about this kid. Yeah, he's gone to a level that very few Americans have gone to at any stage in their career, let alone at age 17. So uh, it's a situation where I think that if a player's good enough and he has the right mentality to become a world-class player, then 
he can certainly handle the hype. Yeah, you know what? Um, it's it's um it's uh, for, in the case of of this kid, it's a matter of he actually has not accomplished anything. Don't be wrong; he's played four times for Dortmund, but he's played four times for Dortmund at seventeen. Sometimes the kids that we get too excited about, if you want to put that label on it, are. Kids who haven't done any, I mean, haven't done anything on the senior level. They've, they've been in a youth team here or there. They've done very well for the U20s at some club or something. And, and that, that I sort of get. It's a little bit easier to, to argue that maybe we don't get excited about a player who has yet to even become a full professional. Yeah. And, and the model that everybody uses is Freddie Adu as sort of the cautionary tale. But the thing about Freddie Adu that you have to remember is, this is an unprecedented situation that is never going to happen again. When you're talking about someone who's 14 years old and the highest paid player in MLS and in his own Sierra Miss commercial with Pele, <laughs> um, you know, that's never going to happen again. Uh, so I think to compare every hyped U.S. prospect to, to Freddie Adu is a, a little disingenuous. Uh, yeah, I th- I'm with you, Seth. Uh, by the way, if Christian Pulisic makes his debut for the U.S. men's national team on Tuesday against Guatemala in Columbus, which right now is not a given considering his health, uh, but he is being called. If he does get capped, and, and we haven't touched on the whole whether or not cap tying him is important, I don't really think it is, but fine. Uh, he still cannot be the youngest player to ever play for the U.S. men's national team. That will still be Freddie Adu, 16 years of age when he uh, made his debut 16 years and 234 days in 19 and sorry in 2006 so there you go there you go yeah seth Vertelny, almost, almost a full year younger than uh, almost <laughs> yeah i mean hell uh Pulisic is an old man at this point seth Vertelny from gold.com uh with us on soccer morning seth appreciate the time and enjoy the matches um you know let's uh let's keep the twitter snark to a to a minimum on <laughs> no way that's not gonna happen is it <laughs> no guarantees on okay. that one. <laughs> All right, thanks a lot, Seth. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. There goes uh, Seth Fratelli. When we come back, our friend Dwayne Rollins from Canadian Soccer News. He is at 24th Minute on Twitter. He'll tell us about whether or not Canada can get something out of their home match tonight, qualifier against the Mexicans. Soccer Morning, com. To Soccer Morning. Here's your host, Jason Davis. All right, so we are back on Soccer Morning. It's uh, Friday. It's International Break Weekend, whatever you want to call that. International FIFA, international stuff. It's a FIFA day. Uh, games across the world uh, related to World Cup qualifying for 2018, including in Canada, where the Canadian national team will take on Mexico in the first of a two-game uh, two set. Uh, in Vancouver, Dwayne Rollins, 24th Minute, Canadian Soccer News, joins us on the line. Hi, hi Dwayne, how are you? I'm doing well, Jason. Uh, tripping over myself here. All right, so uh, let, let's just uh, cut through all of the stuff, Dwayne. What are the chances Canada beats Mexico tonight? Oh, beats, you said. Get the full three points. <laughs> uh, you know, I hate to put numbers on it, but uh, Canada's inability to score has been troublesome over the last 18 months or so. Added a couple pieces in the last little while. Looked a little bit better, but it's still it's Mexico they're playing. I would put it maybe at uh, 25%, which might be a little higher than some people think. I, I think okay. there's a much better chance they might get a draw, though. Okay, well, that's going to take us to the draw, then. What are the chance? What are the percent chance uh, that, that, that Canada can actually pull out a point from this game against Mexico? The one thing Canada has done well, going all the way back to before the Gold Cup and through the Gold Cup, where, where people forget as much as they didn't look very good, they, they only allowed the one goal during the three games, is defend. Uh, combine that with the fact that Mexico's playing on turf, that it's going to be open air and not really comfortable for a lot of these guys, uh, for the Mexicans, I think that there is a fairly good chance that Canada could grind out a nil-nil or maybe nick a 1-1. 
uh, tonight. So I would put that at maybe 50%, we'll say. Which for, for Canada and Mexico, I think me giving it 50% is, is pretty optimistic. Well, I, I think that that's a big step, for, if that's true. And I know you're, it's a subjective, uh, it's a subjective analysis on your part. And, and I imagine maybe just a tiny little bias mixed in there. Um, but, yeah. but, but certainly no reason not to be positive about, about the program right now. I mean, we're not talking about Canada becoming CONCACAF elite yet, Dwayne, but we are seeing something approaching actual steps forward. Yeah, you know what? What the goal heading into this this uh, cycle was was really to not embarrass ourselves. To be blunt, when you think about how the last cycle ended, when you think about the amount of turnover that was there, the, the year following that eight one loss in Honduras, where they didn't score a goal for for more than a year, uh, looked horrible in doing so. We're working so many different players through the program, just uh, we're floundering. But something's changed since then, and now that goal has shifted to the possibility that that there are many people up here that that think that they can get to the hacks. Once they get to the hex, all bets are off, but that would be the goal to get through this round of qualifying. You look at Honduras, you look at El Salvador in this group as well. They're not exactly at the top of their game. Canada has started the cycle well with the four points in the first two games of this. If they can get anything out of these two, and especially if Honduras and El Salvador trip each other up, then Canada is going to go into those final two games on a good stand and, and will We'll be looking to get to the hex, and then, as I said, all bets would be off. That that's the goal, though. You talk about coffee calf elite, one step at a time. Let's get to the final round. Of right, right. Okay. So, so, so after the first uh, two matches, Canada coming out um, with the four points um, uh, against against El Salvador. Right. That was that was the first set of games. Uh, so they they split the two. El Salvador and Honduras. They got the oh, win one one. one. Right, right, yeah. right. That, well, I forgot. Okay, so my brain has been fried by the fact that for some reason Concacaf has scheduled these back to back against the same team situations for everybody. All right, so yeah, El Salvador uh, one. Uh, El Salvador and Honduras. So you, what do you? I mean, this isn't a, again for Canada. This isn't just about what happens tonight. Although you would love to be able to control your own destiny here, it's also what happens in the other game. Uh, what do you, what are you looking? I mean, I suppose that, uh, two draws out of El Salvador and Honduras is exactly what Canada needs. Yeah, we've pointed a term. We, yeah, we pointed a term. We're calling it the double double after our famous, uh, Tim Hortons coffee up here. We want the two points dropped in two games for those two teams. So that, that's what everyone's cheering for. But realistically, I think that, uh, a split of three points each. So any combination which doesn't have one of those teams getting all the points, I think would do Canada just fine. Uh, they have El Salvador at home in the final two legs, and uh, they're down to down to the place of the famous loss uh, to, to end out this qualifying, which I think is is good. It, it it gives them a chance to have a cathartic ending with that, and and maybe change things a little bit around and change the narrative up here. Because even in the preview of this game, that eight one, it just it looms large. Every yeah. everyone still talks about it. All the news uh, programs start with the highlights from that game. I call them highlights very loosely from a Canadian perspective, but yeah, it, it's. There are opportunities for these guys, for these guys now to really change the narrative of how Canadians view this team based on the way they've been playing so far. All right. So, so this game at home, 50 plus thousand people at BC place. From what I read, I imagine there's going to be a very strong Mexican contingent, but this is going to be a pro Canada crowd. Uh, I think, and you can tell me if I'm wrong about that, but it's at least at home. As you said, it's on turf. Uh, it's not going to be the, the, the greatest, uh, uh, environmental circumstances for a, for a Mexican domination. How much does Floro, does Bernardo Floro go for it here? Um, and when I mean, when I say go for it, obviously that's relative. You're still going to play a defensive setup for the most part versus what's happening on Tuesday. I mean, Literally, he can just blow the doors off of the effort in this game and say, no matter what happens, we got to get a point here. Let's let's worry about Tuesday later. Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head with it. They will open it up in so much as they can, uh, and what that means is they will probably start Scott or start Scott Arfield, which is the new uh, he's Scottish, but he's uh, decided because his father was born in Toronto that he's going to represent Canada. It's his first. Uh, Appearance for Canada, a place for Burnley, uh, has in the Premier League. So a high quality player that, uh, for a Canadian program, from a Canadian perspective, has come into the program, going to play out in the wings along with Junior Lad on the other wing, likely tonight. Those two will be set up purely to counter. Will Johnson will probably have a little bit more freedom to get up in there and, and support the attack on the counter, but they primarily will be looking to to look for one or two opportunities to unleash those wing players, create some space, and perhaps get Kyle Lauren um, isolated up up top alone to to maybe tap something in as as he's been doing in MLS right now. That that's kind of the goal. 
but all that is said, they'll be happy with nil nil, and, and I think that they primarily will go into this game, you know, trying to keep that nil on the Mexico side. And if anything happens on their own, then that's a bonus. Okay, so I mean, again, we're talking about the progress here, and I, and I think that for uh, for people who maybe don't have a full appreciation of the the Canada roster at the moment, you mentioned Arfield. That's uh, that's good information. For for those of us who were not aware of of of, of his connection and, and joining the team, a, a, a quality addition. We we at least a lot of us were aware of the saga with Junior Hoylet. Uh, he's decided to play for Canada, um, and and then obviously Kyle Laren is the 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 star in waiting here, and he he's already started off the MLS season very strongly. Dwayne, there's no reason to think we're looking at a sophomore slump. He's only 20 years old. Uh, you know he'll be 21. Uh, in a couple of weeks, but he's only 20, 21 years old. How how important, how big, how much can Canada really put on Kyle Aaron's shoulders at this point? Well, that's the question. Mentally, he I've had the opportunity to speak to him several times now, and, and he is sincerely a mentally strong and humble kid that, that I think can handle the pressure. But you just said it. He's only 20. Yes, he's been scoring at MLS. MLS to international is a different jump. Expect him to come in and dominate and do things that he's been doing in MLS at the international level, especially against the likes of Mexico, might be a step too far to to ask of him right now. That said, you can't understate how important he is to the program. The last time Canada had a player that sort of had the potential to score consistently professionally as Kyle Lauren and internationally as Kyle Lauren was probably going all the way back to, to Till Bunbury's dad, Alex Bunbury in the nineties. So it's been a long time since Canada had a player that, uh, of that type of player that, that could do those type of things consistently like him. So he is absolutely vital to any chance Canada has to take that step and at least get competitive to get up to a, to a hex. So, uh, you would hope that he would break through at some point. I don't know if tonight's going to be the night, but uh, but certainly he is, uh, you know, vital to the to the future of this program. He's um, I, I, again a young player. He's uh, been carrying the load for Orlando for a year now, and and, and we'll see. I mean, again, answered the call. Not a lot of expect expectation, or at least high expectations because of his draft position, but not necessarily like you're going to walk into an MLS team and be expected to score 17 goals. Nobody has that on him. Uh, so he's, he's, he's obviously been a, um, uh, been a nice surprise for his MLS team. He did have the, the gold cup. He did have the miss, which apparently is, you know, I thought that might, might really do some damage to him. I think that speaks to what you're saying about his attitude. Yeah. It, you know, everyone that says, talks to him says the same thing. He's almost cliche Canadian. You know, the thank you and please and, and you know, I'm humble kind of stuff. Like that's, he's almost like that. And he's very soft spoken, as I said as well. Um, he's incredibly driven and he has a great support staff around him as well. Uh, he comes out of that Sigma FC program up here that a lot of players are coming out of lately. Uh, the academy program, private academy, just, uh, just west of Toronto and, and the support system around that and the way that they still work with those athletes day in, day out. I, I, I know that, uh, the gentleman who runs that program is in almost, you know, daily contact with Kyle still to this, this point. So just a lot of supports for him and a lot, and there's a lot of drive from him to, to get better every day. So he's the real deal. Uh, Kyle Lauren is, is going to be successful in his career. Whether or not that translates internationally will depend on a lot of how Canada supports him. Uh, which is the question. And, and, and I think that if you look back to the Gold Cup and his inability to score there, and obviously the miss was unfortunate, but that happens to every striker in the world at one point in their career. You go back and find lots of world-class guys that have missed something similar. But, you know, I think it, it stems down to the just complete and utter lack of support that he got in that Gold Cup with the rest of his lack of success. So, yeah. you know, okay. we'll see. Now that we've added our field and, and Hulat have come into the program since that time, Having those kind of width presses out there that have offensive abilities and can get up there and create space for him, I think, is going to to make a world of difference. Um, it, uh, he does have an international goal that came against Dominica, so you know he he hasn't really scored against one of the big boys yet. So hopefully, sometime in the next uh, next four games, that'll happen for him. Mexico visiting Canada, BC place, 10 o'clock kickoff or 10-ish kickoff uh, Eastern time for that game. I'm not sure where it, where it uh, might be on television in the United States. Of course, the United States will be playing at that exact time. 
Uh, so maybe you flip back and forth, or you just keep an eye on Twitter. I'm sure Dwayne will have up. I'm sure you're going to have some updates. On <laughs> yeah, I'll probably be on Twitter. Daniel uh, Squizado, who's always another great yeah. follow for, uh, for the Canadian. There you go. Yeah, definitely follow Squiz as well. Uh, all right. Um, while I have a couple of minutes here left before the top of the hour, Dwayne, uh, two other topics I want to touch on. I- I'm going to go to the Canadian Premier League, the, pr- the proposed uh, Canadian National League. You and I have talked about this, I think, before. Uh, we had some, some sort of uh, news leaks that were really the driver of interest in this thing. Where, where do things stand right now with the, with the Canadian Premier League? Yeah, it's gone radio, gone radio silent again, and I, I, that's, on, that's by design. Uh, they really are moving forward with this at this particular time. I, although there are a lot of people that have skepticism around it, and I understand where that comes from, I, I think it's important to realize that the CSA has the financial backing behind this and, and is really committed to moving forward with it. Uh, when that announcement happens, it's only going to happen when they feel that they have all the ducks in a row and that they can answer all the questions that are going to be thrown at them and, you know, at the potential launch press conference. And that, that may be in two weeks and it may be in 10 months. They don't honestly know yet. And that, that's anyone I talked to has sort of said the same thing. They just continue to work to try and make sure that, that everything is, that they, they're dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. And that's just so vital uh, to making sure that this works because really you can't afford to have it. There's so much skepticism around it already. That you can't afford any hiccup. You can't afford any sort of hesitation in answering a question when it comes to launch this league. It has to launch perfectly to have a chance. All right. So the, the Canadian Premier League, obviously an intriguing possibility, but as you said, uh, for the time being, keeping things under wraps, what can, uh, did you make, I mean, what did you make of Bill Peterson's comments, uh, when asked about the potential for, for teams, uh, to leave his league and join up with the Canadian Premier League? What, what did you make of those comments? I think that you have to take a great assault with everything the NASL says when it relates to Canada. They had an opportunity to be involved in this project at the very beginning and, and sort of dropped the ball. Uh, the the original plan, the original thinking, one of the plans on the table anyway, was to have kind of create a, a north a northern division or a Canadian division of the NASL and sort of have some kind of integrated schedule and and playoffs and so on and so forth. They thought that might be a little bit safer, but you know, after an initial meeting with the NASL, the NASL just stopped communicating with them and started you know pursuing other American uh, American markets and so on and so forth. And it's understandable. It's an American league. They want to expand their footprint there. But I think the CSA at that point kind of went, well, we're going to do our own thing. And what's important to understand, and I think that people forget this sometimes, is as much as Canadian teams play in American leagues, they ultimately are governed and sanctioned by the CSA. So if the CSA wants them to be playing in Canadian leagues, they do in fact have the power to make that happen. So I don't know how much control the NHL would have other than to, to allow these uh, these clubs uh, like FC Edmonton and the Ottawa Fury to just fold would be the only option that they have to like mm. refuse to let them go in or refuse to cooperate with the with the CSA. But I don't know how that benefits those clubs in, in the end if the CSA really pushes the agenda that they want them playing at home. I mean, we've already seen it at lower levels. Uh, there were a couple of uh, women's teams that were trying to get into that new uh, second tier women's league, and the CSA just put their foot down and said no. And those teams aren't playing this year. So mm. ultimately, I think that uh, that you have to understand that, that the, the governing body does need to sanction these teams at every level, no matter how professional they may they may be on the outside. All right, the other story that's come up um, is in your backyard there, TFC. Hercules Gomez uh, waived by, by Toronto FC after a handful of appearances in 2015. Uh, he's moved on now and signed with the Seattle Sounders after a trial, and, and because he's Hercules Gomez, he has been candid and... and uh, and open with his feelings about the departure from Toronto, and he's taken some. I mean, I don't want to call them shots because if if that's how he was treated, then ultimately it's just him telling a story about his time there. But he definitely seems to be upset about the way things went in Toronto. Yeah, and look, if this was an isolated situation uh, in TFC's history, that I don't think people would be too concerned about a player that had been waived, uh, sort of saying that he was frustrated with the club that had waived him. That that seems like a pretty normal story, right? Uh, however, there is a lot of history of TFC not treating people well when they release them, and that's kind of what he was implying: is that he wasn't communicated to, that that he maybe uh, wasn't was told one thing and then something else happened, uh, perhaps uh, all of, all sort of things like that. And, and I'll say this: there was a lot of confusion around signing Gomez last year. He seemed like an expensive addition, uh, not where this team needed. And when we came into the, the preseason of this year, he was still around. And, and since I think a lot of people, including Virgil Gomez, I suspect, 
figured that since he wasn't released in the offseason, wasn't provided with an opportunity to find a new club, uh, you know, in that January window, that the TFC planned to keep him around for the year. So then to release him on the eve of the season, uh, outside of the time when he normally could have found another team, you can understand his frustration there. But it, but really, as I said, that the biggest problem around this is whether this speaks to uh, to uh, TFC not getting past some of its bad old habits, which which you know they they're seen as a cold team by players that they that they kind of go about things in a very business like manner that doesn't necessarily take in the personal the the human aspect of the game and, and that's bit them in the butt before and, and caused players to to badmouth yeah. the organization when they've left before. It's not the first time we've heard this. It's been the first time in a while though and the first time with the new management, the Bezvichenko, Vanny kind of management that we've heard it. So that's where a lot of concern in Toronto is coming from. But in fairness to TFC, we haven't heard their side of the story. We've true, only heard Herc, true. and I love Herc. We all love Herc. We do. He's a great guy. He'll talk to you on Twitter. He'll he'll say anything. He'll he'll be candidate. He's going to be a great addition on TV one day somewhere. But uh, but we you know there's always two sides to a story. Absolutely. Uh, so we wait. We, we I don't imagine that TFC. It, it, I don't think it's in their interest to say anything though. Is is it? No, not really. Unless it's a unless it were to continue. And and I think that there's, we we should also note that within Herc, even when Hercule was kind of bashing the uh, TFC, he did say you know they're good people though. So it wasn't exactly like he was throwing everyone under the bus completely. And I, I doubt we'll hear him say this again. I, I suspect he was asked directly and he answered a question as he, as he ought to do. And, uh, you know, unless someone asked him directly again, and TFC has a lot of media presence, so someone might. But, but other than that, I, I can't really see him, uh, you know, belaboring this too much moving forward. So I doubt we'll hear anything from okay. TFC. And, and fans will get over it because they always do. Absolutely. Uh, all right. To, to wrap up here, since we're since we're in this place, and, and yeah, they don't play uh, this weekend, and that's a that's a good thing with international call ups. Uh, how do you how do fans feel? How do you feel about the 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 where TFC sits after three games? Again, eight game uh, road road trip to start the season with BMO Field getting upgraded. Yeah, I, I, it's it's surprising. I think that with the. Uh, with the Kansas City game, despite the fact that they lost that game controversially with the, the call at the end, the non-call at the end, but despite that, I think a lot of fans here left that feeling a little bit better about the team than they did even after the uh, after the two results in the first two weeks because of the way that they defensively were solid throughout, even though Drew Moore was missing for the game. And that's been the biggest difference between TFC in the first three games and TFC last year is that they have they both defensively competent. They've only allowed three goals in three games. Uh, for that club, that's that's incredible. They had the worst defensive record in the league last year. And if they can continue that, the thinking is that they'll start to play a little bit more forward thinking when they get back at home. And then and when they get uh, Josie Altador fully healthy, he's, he's missed all but a few minutes and a few ineffective minutes in the first uh, three weeks. So once that happens, the feeling is here they'll start to score a little bit closer to what they did last year. And if they can stay as defensively solid as they've been in the first three games, then there there is a cautious optimism around this club right now. It's always going to be cautious optimism in Toronto because, you know, mm-hmm. it's the 10th season and there's a lot of evidence that TFC will find a way to, to screw it all up in the end. But uh, the fans, I think, are, as I said, cautiously optimistic right now. There you go. Uh, Dwayne Rollins, 24th minute on Twitter. That's 2-4-T-H-M-I-N-U-N. How do you spell minute? Never mind. You know how to spell minute. <laughs> also, Canadian Soccer News, uh, host of uh, a couple of different podcasts, including the Two Solitudes uh, which is at the, what's the website again, Dwayne? My apologies. Uh, the Sports Podcasting Network. There you go, the Sports Podcasting Network.com. Uh, uh, Dwayne, Kevin Laramie, a bunch of excellent stuff happening over there. Thank you very much for the time, Dwayne. I appreciate it. Cheers, Jason. Best of luck to your boys tonight uh, as they take on uh, the, the the dreaded Mexicans in World Cup qualifying. Let's take a break. When we come back, the phone lines will be open here on a Friday, and we'll get your chance to get on the air to wrap up this week, it's been one of those weeks. Let's do this. Soccer Morning, Backyard.com. Welcome to Soccer Morning. Here's your host, Jason Davis. All right, back on Soccer Morning on a Friday. Phone lines are open 646-832-3909. I really wish the phone number spelled something cool. Could we, can we figure it? Is that, are we close at all? If you look at your phone and 
You look at the number pad. It's does it spell like six four six eight three two kick? No, it doesn't spell that at all. Don't type that into your phone. You won't call me. You'll call somebody else. Ah, <laughs> uh, wait. Good stuff from Seth Vertelny. Good stuff from Dwayne Rollins. Uh, let's see. Mm-mm-mm. Looking at the the Twitter machine, Robert in Southern California is tweeting me a couple of different things. Robert, stay on stay on topic. Did, I did read Omar Gonzalez's comments on if he wanted to stay with the Galaxy, he had to take a 75% pay cut. Look, the, the Galaxy were in a difficult salary cap situation. Uh, I don't think that's I don't think they intended to insult Omar Gonzalez. They put them they obviously had a a budget issue coming into 2016 based on the decisions that they made and, and they decided that Omar Gonzalez is a player that Probably needed to move on. I, I guess they offered him a contract, or they said, "Hey, here's what we can pay you." And he said, "Wait a second, hold on, I'm not." T-. But then again, he was making a lot of money. This is a. It's not quite the Jermaine Jones situation, but when you consider uh, the the value, Omar Gonzalez still in his prime. He he should be. He, I don't know that he should be offended because in MLS, it's as much about managing that cap as it is about how much you value the player. These two things go anyway. Uh, what's my favorite Johan Cruyff quote? Um, I like. I mean, yeah, come on. The, there's a lot of good soccer quotes in there. The one I like is uh, um, the one I am most fond of because it is the snarkiest. It is the the funniest. Is the one is the one he said. If I wanted you to understand it, I would have explained it better. If if he said that, that is that is fantastic stuff. Uh, <laughs> very good from uh, from Johan Cruyff. Let's go down to let's go down to Alabama. Talk to Daniel. Hey, Daniel. Good morning, Jason. How are you? I'm I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. It's the weekend. Yeah, it was an exciting day. We got uh, two national team games going on this evening. Um, catch the boys early, and then the men late at night. Um, I think that uh, I was going to say I think that Klinsman actually has a real opportunity here with uh, Fabian Johnson being out. Um, the fact that he's talked about this attacking, you know, um, take it to the other team, brand of soccer that we've been waiting on for the past five years. Um, but he's experimented a lot with the diamond. And I think that like, ideally tonight, if we could see, uh, Bradley in a deep lying role, and then we have Nagby and Bedoya who have the experience both out wide and in the middle being these hybrid wide central midfielders where they could be the shuttlers in a four in a four four two diamond, like a narrow diamond, with Lee Wynn up at the top at the point and Dempsey and Bobby Wood in front of them. So I think that if we came out with a lineup, it's not something that I expect to see. Wait, 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 hold on. Where's the, the where, where's the width? Where's the width, Daniel? You you're just gonna you're gonna ignore the width? I mean, because again, this pro the problem I have with the, the biggest problem I have with this roster, and I'm not saying there are a lot of good fullback options, but you do have Breck Shea that you were grooming at left back. There are you know, DeAndre Gedlin can play right back. maybe maybe if he does, that makes a difference, but you I don't know. Uh, you're, you're, so, oh, the, the width would absolutely have to come for Edgar Castillo out left and Yedlin out right coming up from the fullbacks. I mean, that's, I, I would assume that would be a given in the lineup. Of course, nothing's a given. With no, Clemson, nothing's given. That's probably that, the only two fullbacks we've called up. I mean, I could, I could beat a dead horse all day about the fact that we have seven center backs and two fullbacks. I, I would like to give the benefit of the doubt to the fullbacks and actually get them to start at fullback. But yeah, 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 that's not always the case. Well, I mean, he's he's um, messed about with he's messed about with his lineups so often, his formations so option so often uh, that you know I I I I kind it's not there's one part of me that wants him to stick with something because I feel as though continuity matters. There's another part of me that says, well, it, maybe it doesn't matter. Adjust to what your personnel is, but then I get back to the question of whether or not he's calling in the right personnel sometimes. Yeah, well, I, I definitely agree there. I mean, you've got, especially in the left-back situation, you call it Castillo, which is, Edgar's been playing well down at Monterey, so I think he's doing a good job. But then you got, uh, you know, you've got um, Jonathan Bornstein, who's been playing well in the Mexican League. And we've, we've tried some Greg Garza, we've tried some Breck Shea, we haven't given Robbie Rogers a look. But there are left-backs out there that, you know, they they might not be, they might not be world-class guys, but to I still think that that's a better option than you know. Trevor, Trevor, Trevor's telling me that Alvarado. Uh, Trevor's telling me that Alvarado has played at left back fairly often. First of all, I'm not sold on Alvarado as a player. Period. Much less where his position is. But 
uh, and I'm not, I don't know this. Are they playing a four man back line in, at, at Club America these days? Because last time I, the last time I remember paying attention to what Alvarado was doing, because again, not sold on him as a player, uh, and maybe this is wrong of me, he was playing as part of a three man back line. And I just, I don't know that that's, you know, that's not something Klinsman's going to do. I mean, I actually put, presented that to somebody this week. I said, what if he plays a three-man back line? And they went, ha, 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 what are you talking about? So, who knows? Well, the, the most recent thing that I've seen Alvarado do is play as an overage player for Club America's U20 team. That's a shot. Which is a whole different can of worms in and of itself. But um, yeah. and it's it's funny that the MLS soccer um their Twitter feed they posted a poll last night after Clemson's comments of well we have Edgar Castillo to play left back and Orozco and Alvarado are also options they put up a poll and um you know to no one's surprise in a landslide Edgar Castillo got the vote because you know he's the one of the three that regularly plays left back yeah. um okay and then. Um, I, I don't think we're likely to see that diamond, but it, it'd be something that I think could be a good experimental thing, especially when you're playing a team like Guatemala, where even though you're playing on the road at Guatemala, I don't expect them to be very proactive in their attack. I mean, I think they're going to bunker and yeah, sure. counter like they did four years ago. And that game, um, your first guest was talking about that game being close with the 1-1 with Marco Papa. Um, hitting a brilliant free kick late in the game. Um, that, if I remember right, that game was in a monsoon though. Like the ball was like, you know, people were hoofing it up the field and the ball would just stop in a big puddle of water. It, and it wasn't, it wasn't great conditions. And I think there's, I don't think anything like that's supposed to happen tonight. Um, uh, yeah. the other thing I wanted to add is talking about the U23s. Um, you know, we talked about the John Brooks, DeAndre Yedlin thing about whether they should be with the U23s and give Herzog his best team, or whether they should be with the national team as a, you know, this full team as a first choice options. Um, I think another interesting dilemma that's going to come up, if if we were to upset Columbia, you know, assuming that lightning strikes and we are able to upset Columbia and make it to the Olympics, you've got the same dilemma again as whether Brooks and Yedlin play in the Olympics or whether they play in the Copa America. I mean, those tournaments don't take place at the same time, but you know, yeah, you can't you can't do both. No, it's, it's too much. Yeah, yeah right. it's, it's too much. I mean, there's already there's it's ongoing daily discussion about whether or not Messi is going to play in one or the other. Neymar wants to play in both, but that's too much, and blah blah. So yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, we've got our own little limit there. Not that Brooks and uh, Yedlin would be confused with Messi and Neymar. Well, no, but but, but um, I mean, the point is that that coming out of a long European season. Uh, for a guy right. like John Brooks to, to go into Copa America, then go to the Olympics, then go back to her to Berlin. I and mean, that's just, you know, I don't care if he's, if he's 22 or 42. It, it is too much. Right. And our U23s, I mean, they, they have their, their strengths are almost definitely there are our defenders and our central midfield being more defensive oriented with the Lache and uh, Trap. And then we have tons of speed. With, uh, Morris, Kai Sweater, Shelton, uh, Paul Ariola, Julian Green. Um, but, you know, I just, it's just more of the same, really. It's like, well, what are our strengths? Well, we have good central defensive midfielders and we have lots of speed that lacks some technical ability and some professional polish. And it's like, well, is that what we've been? Is that what the U.S. has been for, you know, the last, 20 years. I mean, that's, that's just what we do. And I don't really see much of that changing as far as, you know, the, whether we're trying different formations. I mean, when you talked about earlier, the, uh, the, somebody posting that the best option would be the bucket, you know, it's like, well, I thought we were getting away from the bucket. I thought we were trying to do this. I thought we were trying to do that. I'm just not seeing it. There's not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I'm all for us being the best team we can be with the players that we have, but, um, it just seems to be, more of the same and not a whole lot of change going on there we shall see what happens tonight in guatemala city daniel i appreciate the phone call thank you very much man have a good weekend thank, thank you Jason. you too daniel uh closes us out on a friday closes out our week thank you very much to seth Vertelny and uh, Dwayne rollins for their contributions today good stuff from both of them we will be back on monday to obviously go over whatever happens tonight in uh, CONCACAF qualifying for the United States, uh, Canada, and other teams uh, across the region, plus much, much more CONCACAF, I mean, Commabowl qualifying. We can probably dive into that a little bit heavier next week. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll just have some talk, soccer talk.
on a Monday. So be there for that because now it is time for me to take my leave. Make sure you check out SiriusXM FC Channel 85 if you have a subscription. If you don't have a subscription, maybe consider it. Follow us on Twitter at Soccer Morning. And I'll talk to you on Monday. Bye. Bye.